You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. I'm Jessica Strauss and I'm joined by my co-host Peter Newman. We're going to be focusing on the use of pre-emergent herbicides and knockdowns today with a special focus on Group Ds. And Peter Newman does join me. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, I'm very well. How are you, Jess? I'm good. You've had a very exciting long weekend. We had a a public holiday on Monday in Western Australia and you went to your favourite spot, didn't you? I did. I went up north to Nalu with my family, camping and uh, surfing all weekend, Jess. Uh, one of the best surf trips I've had for maybe a decade. It That's was uh, Surf was really on and it was pro surfers out as well. It was like watching a live surf movie. They were incredible. That's so, awesome. yeah, really great. Yeah, very lucky. How about yourself? Well, I got to meet my friend's new baby, so that was very exciting and, yeah, nice to be able to go to people's houses. You do feel a little bit guilty, though, don't you, with the all the restrictions that we've had? It feels a bit funny going to someone's house and, and seeing people yeah. in person, but, yeah, well, that was really nice. I'm settling into it all right, I think. I think um, people said the world's going to change forever. I don't think so. I think we're going to settle back into it pretty quickly. Yes. Well, today on the podcast, we, uh, as per usual, every fortnight putting out the We Smart podcast. And today, we, like I said just earlier, we're focusing on those Group G herbicides. So we've got Associate Professor Dr. Chris Preston from the University of Adelaide joining us. He's going to talk about how Group G herbicides fit into farming systems and what role they're playing as an increasingly popular tool to control weeds. And then after that, we're going to be hearing from Delta Ag Director and Farm Consultant Tim Condon. And he He's going to give an overview of where the season is at in that southern region and give some detail on knockdowns and pre-emergent herbicides. And we're also going to touch on controlling weeds along fence lines because that's quite an issue in that region and in a lot of regions, I, I suppose. Pete, there has been a bit of a, a shift with the way Group G herbicides are being used. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's right, Jess. We're just starting to see some new ones coming now which have got some soil residual properties. Um, we've, As Chris says in the interview, we've been used to using them as a knockdown spike and we did use the Group Gs a little bit post-emergent in some cereals, but, yeah, some new products coming. I remember it must be about 15 years ago, Jess, I heard a presentation from one of the guys from Syngenta, I think it was, and talking about the world's herbicides. And he showed a graph showing that there is a lot of Group G, which is the PPO inhibitor herbicides. There was a lot in the world, but at the time there was almost none in Australia. And I just remember thinking, well, I'm sure they're going to find some of those products that will work in Australia. And I think that's what's happening. I think there's been lots of Group Gs around the world and now we're finding uses for them in our crops, Jess. Yeah, very exciting. And Dr Chris Preston from University of Adelaide gives a really great overview. Shall we take a listen? Let's do it. Today we're catching up with weeds researcher, Associate Professor Dr Chris Preston from the University of Adelaide to find out about how Group G herbicides fit into farming systems and what role they are playing as an increasingly popular tool to control weeds. Chris does join me. How are you going, Chris? I'm well, thank you. That's great to hear. So there has been an increase in the use of Group G herbicides in Australia. What are growers using? Well, Group G herbicides we traditionally used as spikes to add to glyphosate or indeed paraquat applications prior to sowing, and that's been their their most wide use for a long time. And so these things like, you know, using hammer, for example. But increasingly there are opportunities to use Group G herbicides in different ways. And really with the introduction of 
terrain being used as a post-emergent broadleaf herbicide in front of uh, faba beans, but also its use on fence lines. It's changed the way we can think about um, Group G herbicides in cropping. Okay, interesting. So just to get a little bit of background, how do Group Gs actually work? Well, Group G herbicides inhibit part of the process for making chlorophyll in plants, and um, so they operate on the leaf material and they effectively they kill the leaves. But the way they're taken up is that typically they can be taken up through the leaf surface, so used post-emergent through the leaf surface, or they can be taken up from the soil surface. But when they're being taken up from the soil surface, the way they're used is they're used in a fashion that we call a surface seal. So the typical use pattern has been to apply a relatively high rate of product on the surface and leave it undisturbed, and as the weeds push through the herbicide, they pick it up. And so we've kind of touched on it slightly, but if we could go into a little bit more detail, how are Group G's best used in farming systems? Look, we've got lots of opportunities to use Group G's. And as I said, our traditional um, use of being a spike is still very widely used. We had a period where uh, Carfentrazone's affinity was used in crop as a broadleaf weed control, though that's not used very much anymore. But what's happened is that with the new use patterns sort of starting to rain, but we've also got a number of new products that have come in the last few years or are coming, which are going to fit into that same space. And so they will give us opportunities to do some different things around what we might think about in terms of Group G herbicides. Part of the trouble with um, terrain is that it, it, it had a, a moderately narrow spectrum of broadleaf weeds be controlled at the rate that we could use it in faba beans. But it was very effective at the rate we can use on fence lines. So in places where people don't want to put true residual products on fence lines, so you have relatively light soil where products move, terrain makes a, a really useful option for that space. But one of the things about using the group G herbicides as soil herbicides so being taken up as the plants push through is you really need to get down onto the soil surface so you can't use them in situations where you've got large amounts of residue sitting on the surface right okay or you know large amounts of, of weeds there so you have to get rid of the weeds first yeah that makes sense and so what are some of the other considerations that need to be made when selecting to use group g herbicides in farming systems well i think the big thing that we need to be thinking about in terms of, of, of making a choice is are they the right product for the weeds that we've got in the crop that we're growing? And that whole component has expanded recently because uh, we've had, uh, we, or will be expanding, we're getting Reflex coming, which is a, a new group G herbicide from Syngenta. And that has got a bit of a broader spectrum of broadleaf weeds compared to uh, terrain, but you can use it pretty much across the pulses. Uh, it's a little bit uh, less safe in lentils than the other pulses, but it has really good safety in the pulses. And so that gives us an opportunity to use more pre-emergent chemistry, our pulse phase. One of the things we struggle with pulse crops is actually getting good broadleaf weed control. And pulses are very sensitive to weed competition early. So that'll give an opportunity there. And then BASF will be coming, I think, next year with Varaxor, which is a, a mixture of a couple of Group G herbicides that have got some really interesting properties in terms of 
how they behave in the soil. And they'll be marketing that for primarily broadleaf weed control, pre-emerging in cereals. It'll also get a little bit of uh, grass activity, but probably not, not enough for most people who are chasing ryegrass. There'll be some challenges using that if you've got a ryegrass situation, but if your main um, weed issues the broadleaf weeds, it might well fit into the system. So what are the differences that are being seen in the paddock due to the use of Group Gs, Chris? Well, I think the big advantage has been dealing with some of that early broadleaf weed competition, particularly some of those more troublesome weeds we get in pulses. Because, you know, our other options for broadleaf weed control tend to be things like the triazines, diphlophenican. We've got resistance to diphlophenican. We're getting resistance to the triazines. So, you know, it's just another different alternative. And many of the other products, we've got situations where they've got to go out post-so pre-emergent for crop safety reasons rather than being applied pre-emergent. Of course, that's another pass. So being able to put the product up front does offer some uh, attractions if it will deal with the weed species that you've got in your paddock. Okay, excellent. And was there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap things up, Chris? Well, I think the only other thing perhaps to really think about with Group G Chemistry is that, you know, like all the other herbicides we've got, if we overuse them, we're likely to get resistance. We don't have any weeds with resistance to the Group G herbicides in Australia, probably because our main weed concerns are grass weeds and these have been mainly broadleaf weed products. But in North America, uh, resistance to the Group G herbicides is quite widespread in a couple of their weeds. So one of the things now that we're going to have more opportunities for using Group G chemistry uh, as a pre-emergent in our farming system is that we do need to be rotating our herbicides and make sure that we don't sort of use Group Gs all the time. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. Well, thank you so much for giving us that overview on Group Gs, Chris. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you so much to Dr. Chris Preston there from the University of Adelaide giving a really good overview of Group Gs and how they're fitting into farming systems. Pete, what stood out there for you? I guess just just for the residual nature of these new Group Gs is just getting that, that sort of even blanket of herbicide all over the soil surface for them to work best. I remember we used to talk about it with diflufenicin years ago to picture it as if we're stretching out glad wrap, you know, and putting it on the ground and then getting the weeds to touch it with their leaves as they come through it. And that's probably the way we need to think about these Group G residuals and it can be challenging to really get that film of herbicide if we have high crop residues on the soil surface, Jess. So, yeah, so it'll be just important to get to know them in that sense that we are getting that application right to get the best out of them. Yeah, so how do you strike the balance there with with that? Do you have any tips or, or thoughts around it? Well, the farmers and agronomists will be very good at it, Jess. It'll just be a matter of picking those paddocks that don't have too much residue uh, on the surface, I would imagine, to get the best out of them and also the application methods to with water rate and droplet size and so on to get that good even application so yeah the, the growers and agronomists are expert at it but it'll just you know be another one of those things that we've got to feel our way with with a new product and 
and uh, find out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, maybe we'll pose the question to Bill Campbell, the spray application specialist. He'll be on our next podcast in a couple of weeks' time so we can follow up and, and get some more detail on uh, on that, I think. But we also heard from uh, Delta Ag Director and Farm Consultant Tim Condon. He's going to be on the podcast next. Now, Tim gave us a great overview of where their season is at in the southern region and talked about knockdowns and pre-emergent herbicides and also touched on the issues of weeds along fence lines. Now, what's your perspective here? Is fence line weed control, is that an issue in most of the regions, do you think, Pete? Is that still, because it does seem to be kind of a, a national issue, doesn't it? Yeah, and it has been for a long time, Jess, but I suppose we've just sort of been getting away with it, if you like, but they're finding a lot particularly in New South Wales and I imagine Victoria and South Australia, probably not so much WA yet, but uh, that thing of where we're getting glyphosate resistance evolving on the fence lines and then moving into the crop. Uh, And, yeah, Tim talks about that. And so we had it pretty easy where we would just, you know, a lot of people would get their dad to go and spray the fence lines, you know, get the... 80-year-old father to keep him busy for a few weeks and yeah. go spray fence lines with a fence line sprayer with some Roundup and, and that's not the case anymore. We've got to be smarter than that. And But we are, you know, as Tim says, we're scratching our heads about what is exactly the best practice, Jess, and, yeah, we've still got a little bit to learn there as well, I think. All right, shall we take a listen? Yes, let's do it. Today on the podcast, we're catching up with Delta Ag Director and Farm Consultant Tim Condon. Tim is going to give us an overview of where the season is at with a focus on the southern region, including knockdowns and pre-emergent herbicides. We'll also touch on controlling weeds along fence lines. How are you going, Tim? Good things, Jess. That's good to hear. So now you work at Delta Ag, which is a partner of WeedSmart. Before we get into the uh, details of the interview, can you just firstly give us a bit of an overview of Delta Ag and your role? Well, Delta Ag is an input supply business and an advice supply business. We stretch from Queensland right through to the South Australian border now with a recent merger with Northwest Ag and AgriVision down in Victoria. So we've got a, like a lot of stores and a lot of advisors working pretty closely with growers across that whole eastern grain belt, if you like. And, uh, you yeah, know, we're really a relationships-based business where we're supplying advice and, and inputs as well. So, and my role within that organisation, I'm an advisor based up here in the southwest slopes of New South Wales, a town called Harden, which is a mixed farming region, 650 mil rainfall, so high rainfall, and quite a reliable area. Excellent. So, how has the season been going in the southern region, Tim? Well, it's I'm rating it as the best autumn of my career, nice. which spans a bit over 20 years now. So we just had this uh, timely and plentiful rainfall with dry spells in between, which has been the perfect autumn start. So we've been getting you know, mid-Feb, we got 50 mils. And first week of March, we got 50 mils. And end of March, mid up to mid-April, another 100 mils. So these significant rainfall events and then two or three weeks of dry weather in between, it's just been absolutely perfect for getting crops in, sowing programs implemented and also just pasture growth has been outstanding so for the livestock producers we've got a lot of feed on offer now and for our croppers we've had a really a dream run in terms of you know, getting crop in the ground with you know, effective knockdowns and, and really highly effective pre-em activity as well that's great to hear so touching on those pre-emergent herbicides and knockdowns how have growers been approaching using these herbicides well we've had a as i said a highly effective year of, of both facets of you know, weed control strategies and, and these days 
the emphasis is very heavily on using preams up front and getting them to work. So we've had rain, weed emergence, knockdown. We've been able to use the double knock. You know, one of the big six. One of the one of the main things out of the big six is double knocking, and and we've been able to do a lot of that highly effectively, like coming with glyphosate followed by four rates of gramoxane. We've had the time and the and the opportunity to really do that effectively, and even my favourite, the old triple knock, which I mentioned up here with my folk with livestock is to do a glyphosate then bring the sheep in and really trim off everything down to the butts and then come in with the gramoxone and uh, it's been highly effective on that tufty gly resistant ryegrass we we're running into more and more coming off fence lines as an issue but highly effective and the other thing is by the end of the drought we're down to bare minimums of ground cover in a lot of places so the preams have actually gone onto bare soil which is what they work highly effectively when they do go straight onto bare soil. So by the time we've come to sow, the knockdown, double knock, that activity plus preams going onto bare soil, we've had highly effective herbicide control, like in the high 90s. I've even got growers who 50% of their canola requires no select, no, no post-emergent sprays at all. It's just spotless. Even up the grass, up to 80% of their, their paddocks have got no weeds in them, so... That's just a bit of an example of how effective the knockdown followed by and the pre-em programs have been. That's excellent. And, Tim, what changes have there been in terms of post-emergent herbicide usage in, in recent times? Hell, post-emergent herbicides up here aren't as important. We don't have a lot of radish to contend with and uh, or, nor a lot of wild oats. So post-emergent herbicides for us up in the hills here aren't, aren't a big focus on what we do. Where there have been a big focus is in the break crop phase, really making sure we get those crops 100% clean so they're a break crop for the future. So really, post-emergence aren't as big a thing, pre-emergence where it's all at. So, But within the post-emergent range now, because of what's happened around the rest of the nation, we've got a huge suite of products that we can choose from to you know, implement our mix and rotate, you know, another one of the big six strategies through the post-emergent phase as well. And we did get a really good overview just before from Associate Professor Dr Chris Preston on the increasing role Group Gs are playing in controlling weeds. What's your perspective on using this herbicide? Yeah, look, Group Gs have come a long way back in the day when all you did was toss a bit of gold in with your glyphosate to help control mallow and nettles on the sheep camp to now having a suite of some, you know, there's eight, I think it is, that we're up to now. And Next year we've got another one coming from New Farm Terrador in that sort of spike range. And we've gone from having spike products for glyphosate to standalone Group G products that work on their own, in their own right. So, and as Chris mentioned, gave a great overview of a lot of those things that are coming. You know, the reflex for preem impulses is quite exciting option for some hard-to-control weeds and the Varaxor from you know, BASF as well is another option as a a standalone but it's now quite complex it's gone from being that simple spike to now using group g's as as a spike for you know whether it's we've got another another issue we have up here is group b resistant mustard so we're trying to manage that milk thistle and prickly lettuce so they're and mallows are now much more widespread than just being on a sheep camp Mm. so we're looking to manage those broadleaf weeds in, in a range of crops and group g's have a really neat fit in terms of using them up front with your knockdowns to to mix with your glyphosate to get very effective control. And is there any any other special considerations growers need to consider when using these herbicides? Well, look, there are, I mean, and the big one is application. So these herbicides have some pretty specific rules about their use for application. 
So conditions play a big role in how well how effective they are. So warm, moist conditions, they work super well. Hot, dry, stressed weeds, they don't work so well. So understanding those differences is uh, is pretty important. And water rate's really important. A lot of them require a high water rate, 100 litres a hectare. And when you, you tell people, look, I want you to go and spray this chunk of country with 100 litres a hectare of water, that can be a challenge. But it's something that we certainly see a difference in the level of control we get if we're trying to chase hard-to-control weed. Generally, we're not asking growers to do that over the whole program. It's only in a targeted area. Nozzle selection is really important. Adjuvants are really important. So you, it's not a matter of really making sure you've got the right water rate nozzles and adjuvants for each Group G product you're using whenever you're using it. Yeah. And the other little issue is uh, drift. You know, you, you've got to make sure it's not drifting. This is pretty dramatic if it drifts anywhere. Cleaning out is something else you've got to be aware of. Some of them have special cleaning out requirements because the residual can stay in the tank and then affect the next crop. And, of course, with all the herbicides, pesticides, PPE, when you're putting this gear in the tank, is really important to make sure you keep your, your people who are actually applying the stuff safe. And, Jess, the other issue I'd like to mention too is just plant backs and withholding periods. The old goal in the Roundup was pretty easy to do. You couldn't really go wrong with it. Well, now we've got products that have got plant backs that could be from one hour for crops up to six weeks for something like canola. So you need to be very aware of what you're doing with your spikes and what the impact for the following crop's going to be. And then withholding periods as well up here with our, with our graziers, you know, some of these have got withholding periods of one day and some have got a do not graze at all mm-hmm. statement on the label. So pretty important aspects to consider when you're choosing which group G to use. Definitely. And just another little thing I can mention too is we're starting to learn about these group Gs and the variation in what they're good at and uh, what they're not good at. So if we get a bit carried away with rates of the wrong one, for example, we can antagonise glyphosate on, on ryegrass. So that's an issue. So, mm. But then other products actually enhance the glyphosate on ryegrass. So it's a matter of choosing out of this you know, eight or so we've got to choose from. Which one are you going to use? What's your target weed and what are you chasing? Yeah. So, and the other thing is, you know, the, the big six mix and rotate is when we are spiking for those hard to kill broadleaf weeds and we are using a group G, is there an opportunity to add a group I into the mix as well? So, really getting a, a, another active in there to really hit those hard to control broadleaf weeds along with your glyphosate. So, a few ideas there and some new products coming Callisto for example you know low gram was out for a long time and then we had a group G and B power mixed with that it's two actives mixed together there well I think the, these guys will be looking at opportunities you know, can we mix B power with Callisto for example or will Reflex have mixing partners other than just being group G alone so we really adopt that mix and rotate message yeah definitely and Tim you'd mention issues along fence lines how much of an issue are we along fence lines now and how growers are controlling them Look, this is a issue that exercises my mind year in, year out, more and more. What, what do we do about fence lines? We have some pretty archaic and sometimes, I think, uh, fire break around paddocks, but we're trying to manage this bare strip under a fence line. And been using glyphosate for a long time, so there is been selection there, and we now have, we know there are glyphosate-resistant survivors coming off those fence lines. We see them as big, tufty, ryegrass plants surviving, after the glyphosate has gone on pre-sowing. So how do we manage those? And, you know, it's, it's a double knock with non-gly options is where we're at. So, you know, using Amitrol maybe with an I and a G and getting bare soil. And then when we've got, once we've got that bare soil, we're you know, doing a double knock 
we have gramoxane and, and, and a group G, and often those group G things have got residual in them. That's a little segue into something else too going on with some of these group Gs. We know with a couple of them that they're registered in Lucin to provide really good knockdown and residual control of weeds. So as a rotation option, another big six message, you know, rotate. Well, if you're using a Lucin as your rotation option and you're really trying to clean up your weeds, well, some of these group Gs have a really good fit in that market too, or that crop as well. All right, Tim. Well, I think we've we've covered a lot of ground there. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? No, I think that's about it, Jess. I, mean, I probably have talked a lot there, but look, there's, there's some, you know, we're sticking to our, our big six messages with Group Gs as well, you know, the double knocking, pre-cropping on fence lines, mixing and rotating wherever you can, and stopping weed seed set, another big one, which uh, some Group Gs can play a role like Sharpen there as well. So just sticking to the messages, and but Group Gs are another exciting option that have a, a fit right across a whole suite of activities definitely and so exciting to hear about the great seasonal conditions that your region has been receiving as well you can find out more from tim condon by following him on twitter his handle is at timmy 64c i'll put that in the podcast notes as well but really appreciated him no worries thanks jess Thank you so much to Tim Condon there, Delta Ag Director and Farm Consultant, and maybe one of our biggest Weed Smart Big Six advocates. We really love how much Tim talks about the Weed Smart Big Six and integrates it into so many conversations around weed control. It's awesome. Pete, he also gave some really good practical advice and tips there around the use of, uh, of herbicide and what to consider. What did you take away? Yes, it's just really good when you get an experienced agronomist like Tim look at a new product and they look at some of the things that sometimes we don't necessarily think about, water rates, uh, plant backs, uh, just some of those practical things that are important for farmers to consider. So, yeah, getting to know new products takes time and and Group G's being, you know, a whole group of products that people might not have used that much over the years. So, yeah, I just really like the way Tim sort of thought outside the square a little bit there and thought about just some of the practical implications about how to get growers to use these new products and use them well. Definitely very helpful information. Well, that's our interviews for the podcast. Thanks again to Dr. Chris Preston from University of Adelaide and thank you to Tim Condon from Delta Ag. Now, just a few things let you in on before we leave you. As you might be aware, we've been doing quite a few webinars with the with the pandemic, cancelling a lot of the events that have been going on. We've been trying to fill that gap and so last Friday we had Dr Catherine Borger do a webinar on problematic crop weeds and the biology of those weeds that's now available on the website on the webinars section and so I'll provide the link for that one and we've got another webinar coming up Greg Condon is going to be doing a webinar on new chemistry on June 12th and he'll be talking about what's new what's coming up and how to keep those new herbicides working for longer. Lots of new uh, pre- and post-emergent herbicides coming to the market in the coming seasons, which we have talked about, Pete. This will be a really good one for everyone to sort of get their head around it, won't it? Yeah, there's so many coming, Jess. I mean, people can learn a bit from the webinars and then learn a bit by going and seeing trials and, and, and some of the products are available this year. So, yeah, we've got a lot of new products to get to know at the moment. 
Yeah, so I'll put the link for that so people can register for that webinar. And if they can't make it on the day, you can always watch it on our website afterwards. And Cindy Benjamin, the Weed Smart content producer, she has put together a really great resource on in-crop weed control. And that's obviously an area which can be particularly difficult to get on top of some years. And so over the years, Weed Smart, we've collected and promoted great advice from seasoned agronomists, researchers and farmers on all aspects of weed control. So Cindy's put all of those resources in one spot and made sure they're all up to date and relevant and so I'll provide the link for that because that's a really helpful resource to uh, get your head around as well Pete. Yeah that's great Jess we're well and truly into post-emergent spraying and for some east coast growers and that'll be us in WA soon so yeah that'll be a good resource. Yeah lots to check out on the Weed Smart website but as per usual make sure you're following us on Twitter and Facebook we're always posting our new content there so you can easily access it by just uh, following us along or by subscribing to the Weed Smart Whip Around which you can subscribe to on the website as well. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll be back in a couple of weeks time with Bill Campbell at the Spray App application specialist focusing on getting spraying right and yeah we really look forward to joining you then we'll see you then